Hello everyone, and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Coming up on this episode, we put on our swimming trunks and head to France to hear how a new nature resort is using renewable geothermal energy to heat up its water park. And this kind of huge and large-scale project show that moving to renewable energy is possible and not only on a personal or on a mm. private housing. And, and uh, we also uh, work together with, with Disney and um, those two wells, they do provide heat not only per 100% of our eating demand on site at mm. Village Nature, but also they do provide 30% of the demand of Disneyland Paris. And then we head to London to find out why a Belgium-based cleaning products company opened up a pop-up cafe where you pay for food with single-use plastics. If you look at the real you know, threat to oceans today, plastics is one of the biggest issues. Um, so we, we started to address the packaging issue already a long time ago, but it's only since recent that we've seen such huge public interest in, in the topic. So. Hello everyone and welcome back to this brand new episode, ED senior reporter Matt Mace here. It's uh, been all change on the ED desk since you last heard from us and we'll get to that later on, but even amidst all this change and madness we've still got two exclusive interviews, both of which perfectly encapsulate how consumer-facing businesses are using sustainability as a major selling point. Um, it's worth noting that this will be our final episode before ED Live, our big two-day event taking place in Birmingham later this week. And upon our return, things, they will never be the same again. It sounds quite ominous out loud, but it's all for good reason. And before we cover into what's changing on the podcast, let's hear from one of the podcast's ever-presents, Mr. George Ogilby. George, George, how are you? Uh, very good, Matt. Thanks for the introduction. It's good to be back here. I feel like I've been uh, out of the office virtually every other day over the last few weeks um, and it's not because I've been putting my feet up at home <laughs> watching Jeremy Carl. I've been uh, working hard beavering away trying to uh, put out some new exciting content outputs for our, our readers uh, but yeah it's good to be finally back in the office and have a, a period of stability after a bit of a hectic few weeks. Definitely yeah it was a real pinch point uh, this last couple of months for you with all, all the reports and um, it's nice to see once Eli is out of the way you'll get plenty of time to catch up on all that Jeremy Carr that you missed. Mm. Um, and, and speaking of Eli, are you, are you all ready for the trip to Birmingham? Um, I am. Um, well when you say am I, am I ready, um, we've, we've still got a few things before we do live actually. Um, I've, I was actually going to talk about some of the things that we've been writing about recently and it seems like the whole low carbon transport area seems to be kicking off recently. I've, I mean I've noted down in the last week or so we've had we've had countless stories of um, end user businesses mm. ramping up either uh, electric vehicles in the fleet or, or hydrogen um, transport, you know the likes of M&S trialling that liquid nitrogen truck deliveries, you've got AB and Bev, the world's largest brewer ordered 800 hydrogen trucks yeah as well. that's that's a huge amount for for hydrogen that's like yeah. a real that's a real big that could be a real big breakthrough for that for that you know transport system mm, and, it, and it's just yeah i mean the, the list is endless uh, i could go on um but it's actually quite nice seeing all these stories coming up as i said we've got stuff coming up before ed live uh one of the events being the accelerate um 
event hosted by not only Edie, but um, with two other brands in the Fabsham House portfolio, Utility Week and uh, Network. So that's going to be really exciting. We're going to be heading up this week to um, BMW's plant in Oxford. Uh, we're going to be talking about how industry, you know, from the likes of networks, uh, end user businesses, can all pull together to uh, create a sustainable future in transport. So ahead of Edie Live, there's that to look forward to. It'll be uh, testing myself in the in the BMW i3. I haven't driven for five years. I, so. <laughs> I hope they've got their insurance all covered and, and sorted, but I'm sure it's fine. Mm. So yeah, it's, uh, it's all systems go at the moment. Uh, how about you looking forward to Edie Live? I am, yes. Um, I'm... I'm a bit gutted to be missing Accelerate. It's mm. uh, an event I've been really excited about for a while, and you know, instead I have to go on holiday. You know, woe is woe is me and all that off to sunny Spain. But um, I think ED Live is going to be really, really exciting this year. Mm. I've I've had a look through and put my idea for a content plan and what we should be covering. And there's so many good seminars that sure. you just you, you know, it's kind of thing. Too many, too many places, not enough time in the day, that kind of stuff, mm. and. I think it's going to be a, a great event in that sense. So I'm looking forward to it. I am not looking forward to immediately after it, where we are kind of just sleep deprived and and just running on fumes essentially. Mm. But you know that's that's all part and parcel um, of it. I don't actually have any kind of commentary on the news um, this week. But what I do have is an exclusive interview from. I mean, it's actually about a month ago now. Um, I've been sitting on this one for a while, mainly because um, I like to bring up the fact I went to a water park in France <laughs> for work as much as possible. Um, George, I mean, were you aware I was in France recently? I feel like I haven't brought this up much in the office. Um, you were notable by your absence <laughs> for a couple of days. We did all wonder where you'd got to, but then uh, I've been told, yeah, you'd uh, taken your snorkel and rubber dinghy and uh, were sliding down a, a, a slide in, in Paris. But I'm, I'm intrigued to hear more. I mean, yeah, it's, it was it was all for work purpose, and I, I promise I promise the listeners I enjoyed only the majority of it. Okay, and um, I, I could sit here and explain it, but you know, I did all of that out in sunny Paris and a little walk around the woods. So I'm gonna um, weirdly hand over to a past version of myself in France to explain more. Bonjour, and welcome to a very sunny France. I'm about 30 minutes outside of Paris, and a literal stone throw away from Disneyland Paris. I'm here at Les Villages Nature Paris, which I'm sure I have pronounced incorrectly. Um, a new holiday destination that opened in September 2017 as part of a joint venture between Euro Disney and Group Pierre Centre Parks. Expected to attract nearly 1 million visitors annually, the resort was built on barely arable land and features one of Europe's largest water parks, which just so happens to be heated entirely by geothermal energy. The water complex, called the Aqua Lagon, is heated year-round to 30 degrees Celsius by zero-carbon geothermal heat with any access being sent over to Disneyland Paris itself for use. Now, the water park is the main attraction, but the resort also features an array of sustainability oriented activities. I am currently absorbing the sights in the um, extraordinary gardens that are nearby apartments that are cladded with living walls and timber that was sourced on site. Um, the pathways that I am now treading on next to the waterfall that you may be able to hear in the background are all built with soil that was excavated when they dug the wells to create this geothermal energy, uh, geothermal heat that heats the water. Uh, I'm traversing through these gardens right now to speak to the park's CSR manager, Emily Russ, to find out more about how the park functions 
and to cover the wider sustainability goals that have been implemented under a One Planet Living framework developed by Bioregional. Now, the One Planet Living framework has been used on other large-scale developments, including the London 2012 Olympic Games, um, and covers zero-carbon targets, ambitious waste targets, and uh, targets around sustainable travel and staff health and well-being. The park is also targeting 30% of its visitors to arrive via more sustainable methods than cars, so public transport, uh, maybe even planes as one flies over me right now. Uh, we were actually meant to get the train from uh, Paris uh, Nord, but due to the national um, strikes, you know, the park actually had uh, two Tesla Model S's come and pick us up, which was a, a really nice touch. And the parks uh, take you right into the centre of attraction where the glass-cladded aquilagon sits as the real kind of centrepiece of the park. It, it kind of juts up from the water and is, is practically unmissable no matter where you are. But I am taking a detour out to one of the less travelled areas of the park um, where the geothermal wells were actually dug that kind of siphons the heat and, and transports the water uh, around the park and off to Disneyland Europe if needs be. I am hoping to hear from um, an engineer from the company Engie. Um, his name is Dominique, I believe, who is hopefully going to explain to us how the heat system works and how it operates. Underground, there is a layer, a, ge a geological layer at something like 2,000 meters depth. And the water uh, at this, uh, this depth is about uh, 78 degrees. So the aim for us is to, to pick up this water and then to use it for, for, for eating all the network. Okay? So actually it's very easy. There is one well, one production well that will, that will uh, get the water at the surface. Then we will take the heat from this water and then we will put back the water exactly at the same layer. So it's almost a closed a close circuit. Okay? And it's a complete renewable energy as there is no uh, fossil, uh, fossil energy, there is no gas, there is no fuel. So it's a complete green energy. So the water comes from the, from the underground to 2,000 meters depth, comes into this well through this pipe, in this well, there is also a pump, an electrical pump, that allows us to, uh, to get a lot of fluoride. And with this fluoride, well, we are able to provide energy to all the network here on, the, on this resort, on the, vill uh, this, uh, on the uh, Village Nature Resort, and also for Disneyland Paris Park. Okay? Um, so, there is, this is the first well, and over there, this is the second well. As you can see, they are not very far away one to each other on the surface. But what happens? Here we have some water at 78 degrees. Then it comes into the plant. We take it from the water. So of course, the, water's cool, the water cools down. Okay? And then we re-inject the water in this well. On this well, there is a particularity, they are inclined. Otherwise, the, hot the, the cold water that we put there would be in contact with the production well, so we would kill the resource. 
And with the chat with Dominique around the GFMA well completed, I was back off to the centre of the park to chat with Emily. So, uh, bonjour, Emily. Um, thank you for, for welcoming me to this pub. Bonjour. And um, I'm hoping we can switch to English because that is literally the extent of my French. Um, I don't know much more. I did learn in the car that journalist is journalist in French, but other than that, this will have to be an English interview. So, um, thank you, thank you for um, accommodating me at um, at this at this really unique water park. And I've given our listeners a, a bit of a description about what makes this um, so unique in, in terms of, of sustainability. And obviously I think the, the real star attraction is the Aqua Lagon, as mm-hmm. it's pronounced. Um, for, for, our, for our listeners who perhaps uh, are unsure or, or, or perhaps a bit foreign to um, those villages and, the, and this area, what, what is so special about the Aqua Lagon in terms of sustainability? Mm-hmm. Uh, hello, Matt. Thank you very much for for this uh, rencontre, as we say in French, for this meeting. Um, I should say that it's not an, uh, a water place, but it's a really a touristic resort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, it's a, a large-scale tourism resort that will open in uh, September, last September, uh, uh, 2017. Um, indeed, the Aqualagon is really one of the must part of, of the place. Uh, it's uh, an area that do uh, offers uh, slides, uh, toboggan, uh, water, and an outside pool. And it's more than uh, uh, 9,000 square meters. And what makes it so special? Yes, this is the question. It's that we offer an open air lagoon uh, that is uh, uh, very large. It's a uh, 2,500 square meters. Okay, wow. Yeah, it's big. <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is that you can swim all year round in uh, 30 degrees. I don't know how to say this in uh, Fahrenheit. Uh, Celsius. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll say Fahrenheit because I'm yeah. sure we can convert the mass. Okay, yeah. okay. Uh, all year round, uh, thanks to uh, geothermal energy. Mm-hmm. And this uh, swimming in a, in a heated pool uh, outside uh, in, in December. Uh, with uh, the strength, I would say, the heat of uh, Earth is really something amazing. I mean, it sounds really, really brilliant, I suppose. I mean, on the sustainability front, it's clearly, it's low carbon, it's 100% um, renewable in that sense. But but just at a, I suppose, a more spiritual level, like you mentioned, that whole, you, you're, you're there and I suppose you're really feeling the impact of, of what Earth can can do to, to its surroundings. And, and yeah, that sounds quite beautiful. And I know we're doing a tour of the park um, and, and the like, kind of reserve later, and it, it does look beautiful at a, a glance. But um, how, how did you come to the decision that geothermal energy was, was a viable possibility for this park? Yeah, yeah it's a very interesting question. When uh, we decided together with the two partners, because uh, Village Nature is a, is a joint venture, um, and the, the two partners are uh, the two shareholders are Disney and uh, Pierre Vacances Center Box. And uh, the two owner, the two uh, general manager, really wanted to develop a, a sustainable uh, destination. And uh, one of the main options uh, offered in, in the Parisian area is geothermal energy because there is a, a very large scale geo- geological layer called the Dodger. And uh, it really extends underneath the whole Parisian regions. And it's, uh, there's, uh, just for information, there's 
35 sorry plants used uh, that do use this layer okay. so it's not common mm. but it's feasible it was though a challenge but because it's a huge uh, you need really to 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 raise farm to 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 be able to develop such uh, wealth and we had to to dig two kilometers uh, deep mm-hmm. uh, but though now we really enjoy uh, the 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 idea and it really enable uh, um, the region to to go into renewable energy and this kind of huge and uh, large-scale project show that moving to renewable energy is possible and not only on a personal or on a mm. private housing and, and uh, we also uh, work together with, with Disney and um, those two wells they do provide heat not only for 100% of our eating demand on site at mm. Village Nature, but also they do provide 30% of the demand of Disneyland Paris. Oh, that's great, yeah. Yes, yes. And so, and I mean, Disney's involvement is, is impressive in, 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 without going all Disney-esque on you. It, it does sound like it was, a, it was just a, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity this. It was an ideal scenario of companies that had a similar vision um, in terms of environmental and sustainability and, and, and an ideal location. And this has been open, I think you said September. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's it's still in its, its early days, but I imagine um, plans, or at least there's there's some sort of vision to, to expand the park. Can, can the geothermal aspect of, of this area cater for, for expansion as well? Mm-hmm. Um, just one, one piece of information. I don't know if we share exactly the same uh, um, uh, view, uh, point of view in sustainability in general, okay. our two groups, mm-hmm. because we have two activities that are really different, mm. but you're, you're right, we succeeded in bringing to life a sustainable destination that are really uh, the, 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 the common view of two really different partners and I think is what is also very positive about this experience is that you may be different from a different culture and from a different uh, way to, to work and to operate sites but still when it comes to sustainability you can find a way mm. and, and progress to the, together and so yes uh, regarding uh, expanding uh, the network in fact um, as you may know we have a, a second phase that is uh, scheduled for Village Nature so now we have roughly uh, 900 cottages and apartments and we will double the size of the site and everything was scaled up to, to, to accommodate uh, uh, such a numbers of, uh, of, of uh, accommodations um, but still uh, we also are able to provide energy the network is capable of providing energy for another part uh, nearby but mm-hmm. still uh, we have to to launch the project okay. and it's not our own project yeah of course okay so there's this intricacies involved okay that, that makes a lot of sense and um I mean, we haven't done the tour yet, but the press pack mentioned that the plan was, I mean, this is obviously embedded with the, the one, one um, Living Planet um, framework in mind, which um, 
for our listeners, there will be a written feature um, accompanying this on the site, which will explain that in much more detail. Um, and it essentially sets um, an ambition. It sets sustainability into the heart of the project regarding carbon, regarding waste, sustainable transport, communities. It's, it's very holistic in that sense. And um, obviously, as you mentioned, it's not just a water park. This is this is a this is a tourist attraction. It's a place mm -hmm. where people can come and stay. So there there are other sustainable aspects on it. I've seen a couple of kind of green living walls. Um, all, I know all the timber is is kind of mm -hmm. um, sourced sustainability and yeah. then reused, and yeah. um, which is all brilliant. And you mentioned that you had some issues, not issues, but there was um, a balance to be struck between. Mm -hmm put in on-site renewables like solar panels mm -hmm. on the buildings mm -hmm. and how that kind of clashed with some other aspects of it regarding biodiversity. I was wondering if you just expand on that. Yeah, um, indeed, um, one of our targets we set with the One Planet Living principles, there are 10 of them, and the one is to be uh, zero carbon emission. Um, we really uh, focused on zero carbon on uh, energy emission, which is already uh, an ambitious target, mm -hmm. and um, we thought once geothermy uh, was uh, somehow okay and feasible, uh, our other target would have been uh, to produce energy on site. And for instance, we really considered very uh, specifically uh, producing electricity on roof on the rooftop yeah. of, of the cottages. But um, those, as you may see, and I know you will sleep tonight, you will <laughs> see that you are surrounded by vegetation and by, by trees, and that's why we want to offer our guests. And it's not uh, compatible uh, just to, to, when you have some solar panel, you have to have a wide, free area. And uh, when it comes to uh, cottages uh, built inside a forest, uh, it was not feasible. Mm. So what we decided, because we stick to our commitments, is to, to opt for a, a green uh, electricity contract. And we also, uh, you will see this outside, we have a solar, a tree solar panel. Oh, okay. But it's more just to raise awareness. Sure, yeah. Because this is this is really what we our commitment to sustainability is not only just to, to build up uh, um, uh, building, it's not only uh, theory and, and uh, technical aspects. We really want to offer a place where people can enjoy and can realize that sustainability eating something sourced locally um, using uh, staying in a site where it's uh, that is very comfortable where the, all the the, the materials are uh, as uh, are less uh, impactful on, on the environment and this can be a very good journey mm. and it's really um, I think in, in the guest mind maybe sometime they would think that if you want to be sustainable and travel sustainable then you have to forget about comfort, for instance. Yeah, definitely. Then not. So our main objective, our main challenge is to give our guests options so they can opt for organic food if they want, but they have to have this offer. Or we, for instance, we didn't decide to ban meat on our mm. site because we think that going sustainable is also has to be done step by step. And this is the way we want to, to do it. <laughs> and on the topic of, of visitors, I mean, 
There are some sustainability pledges in, in place through the um, through the framework you set. So I know I think it's thirty percent of travel to the park by sustainable. This is a target. Yeah, a target. Yeah. Yes, um, and I mean that would entail stuff like um, public transport. I mean I know we were meant yeah. to get public transport today, but because of the strikes we couldn't. So you arranged um, low carbon uh, electric, te- electric Teslas. Yeah, a, a Tesla which was a really really nice touch by the way. Um, <laughs> Um, but do visitors come here, or in, I suppose it's still early days, but do visitors come here expecting um, sustainability, or do they come here because it's, it's a place with one of the largest water parks in Europe where they can have fun, and, and the added benefit is that it is also up in the planet. So I suppose overall my question is, is how much do to, to visitors um, actually engage with the sustainability aspects of this area? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a very good question. Um, maybe if we, we, we will meet again like in six months <laughs> and I can, uh, we will have some very deeper analysis mm. on the, uh, what do our clients look for and, and um, their personal and very deep relationship with sustainability also. Because I think that our, what we offer and our pledge is, uh, our claim is a village nature. So it's, it's a place, it's a small villages. Mm. It's really close to the main uh, uh, metropole. It's, it's very close to Paris. It's uh, 30 minutes away yeah. from Paris. But uh, you can also come, uh, you come from London and uh, you could have arrived uh, not only in Gare du Nord inside Paris, but also at uh, Marne la Vallée, at Disneyland Paris, that is located 15 uh, minutes away from mm. here. And then uh, you, you run, you run, you, you drive through through uh, London, uh, through the, the tunnel. So I mean that um, for the moment, uh, it's hard for us to say what really triggers our our guests. Mm. But I think. It's not only what they look for, but it's also what we can offer. And um, what is what is a hundred percent sure is that we really focus our offer on um, uh, all year round journey, but also on uh, immersive uh, areas such as uh, Belf- the, the farm Belleville. And uh, we really want to offer the opportunity to our guests to experience nature differently, like uh, workshops on honey, mm. on uh, how can I do chocolate, how can I do bread, uh, how do uh, uh, some some workshop with the with the cows and and, and with the sheep. And this is really important for us just to to reconnect and to to offer this reconnection to our guests. Um, and we do not want to, to claim we're sustainable. We, we'd rather have them feel it okay. through, as I said, oh, I can swim. It's December. I'm swimming outside. It's, the pool is still uh, almost at, at 30 degrees. And it, it, it feels good. And oh, wow, it's uh, sustainable because it's low carbon. Uh, and same way uh, for, for food options and, and, and so on. So. Um, I think we should we could push more on this sustainability commitments of village nature. But though we have really to pay attention not to be too much corporate oriented mm. and really to speak to to what the client looks for and what benefits it, it, it can gain from is is stay at village nature. Okay, but um, that was really insightful. Um, and it's yeah, it's nice to know that you're I suppose the the corporate purpose, even though you. 
you don't want to, to be viewed as a corporate, you're, you're, you're providing a, a service that connects people to nature, but it's nice to know that that is your, I suppose your business purpose, is, is that connection between uh, people and, and nature, and is that something you're looking to strengthen over time as well? Oh, yes, yes, and, and um, in fact, um, there is a huge touristic offer in Paris area, mm. in, in, in France, yeah, basically. Um, so it's really important for us to focus on what we can offer, what is different at Village Nature. So I would say that accessibility, the fact that you can come from Paris uh, in, in half an hour, and you can also come by train. Uh, it's uh, an, another aspect of the destination and the fact is that you can be away from the city in a, in a nature that it that is really easy also mm. you know with kids there's no car on the side you can there are a lot of playgrounds outside uh, there's the extraordinary gardens there's this covered uh, farmed themed playground there's all the, the the activity you can do in family with your family and this is also important mm. we want people to spend time together okay brilliant um wait a minute. that's all i really want to ask um i, I do have my swimming trunks packed for me and i'm keen to test the waters quite quite literally Put your um, swimsuit on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, uh, thank you again so much for time. Uh, I suppose it's, it's au revoir, bon voyage, is that? I told you my French is terrible. Au revoir. A bientôt. <laughs> thank you. So, hopefully uh, everyone found that insightful and didn't turn off this episode after I had butchered my French, or Francois, as they say in Francois. I mean, I'll be honest, at no point during that trip did it feel like work. It, it, it just, you know, felt like fun the whole mm. time obviously the swimming aspect wasn't work but you can't you can't go to a geothermal water park and not literally test the waters no. i felt i felt it was my journalistic duty to to get my swimming trunks and go in it was just it was the right thing to do mm, you took one for the team yeah, exactly yeah and but even the interviews with um emily and uh, dominic and i'm not in, actually entirely sure he was called dominic it's just what i called him um uh, they were less like an interview and just more like a chat like i feel like they would they would have that conversation with anyone going mm. to to the park and it was just Overall, you know, it's the stuff they live and breathe, and it was a really, really fun event. There is a um, a written piece on the site, probably now, um, outlining more of the how and the why, um, and I do advise you to give that a read, maybe because it took me a long time to put together, and, you know, I want the fruits of my labour. Mm. I'm never going to say no to going to France for work, essentially. Have you got any, any holidays or trips away planned, George? Um... Other than a trip to the BMW plant in Oxford, I mean, that's probably the nearest thing to a holiday I'll be getting over the next few months. Uh, <laughs> I mean, there's worse places to go. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, oh, God. I think me and my friends are looking to go to a, a music festival this summer. Obviously, Glastonbury's closed, but that's the mm. year for the uh, fellow year. But, um, uh, I think there's talk of us heading out to a continental city, maybe um, Holland, uh, Eindhoven's the, the talk. But, um, yeah, we'll see. Uh, wherever I do go, I'll make sure I check out the sustainability credentials. Yeah, yeah. Let's say like, if you if you run out of ideas, you and your mates can go go along to Paris for the weekend. Check out check out the park uh, after my recommendation. The reason I say that is because as I've mentioned, I'm off to Spain for a few days before we do live, and that's strictly pleasure. No no business. No no writing up. Um, and I feel like I should have probably booked it a bit better. Maybe after ED live instead of a couple of days before when I'm like scraping together to get all the work done. And I'll be a shell of a man uh, by the time Eagle Live is, is, is over. Um, but, you know, I'm looking forward to some sunshine and some, some food. And the reason I mention sunshine and food is because earlier this month, 
I was also in London during that unbearably hot week, you know, showing off my real Britishness there. I think it got to like 27 and I was just done with the year, essentially. I was like, bring on winter. Yeah. Um, And I had to go to a rubbish cafe. And it wasn't rubbish in the sense that the food was awful, uh, but rubbish in the sense that you had to pay for entry by handing them single-use plastic. Mm. Um, I went to a pop-up cafe in Covent Garden, and this was the brainchild of Ecova, the cleaning products firm that hit the headlines earlier this year. I'm not sure if you remember for their they have their plastic bottles consisting of 50% post-consumer recycled right, yeah. uh, uh, plastic. Um, I'm sure our listeners need no real explanation as to why single-use plastics is extremely relevant on this podcast. We can't seem to go a day on the website without mentioning it at the moment. Um, But the Rubbish Cafe wasn't just highlighting Ecova's approach to plastics, but also how they were communicating this to consumers. I think everyone talks about the need for retailers to do more and the need for new infrastructure and Consumers seem to be that kind of missing piece that doesn't get as much coverage. Mm, and there seems to be, you know, a change in the way that we talk to uh, consumers. Uh, we've got this event here. It reminds me of um, some of the work that Hubbub do. Mm. They had the trash converter last year, and it's the whole nudge theory aspect of, you know, providing re- a positive reinforcement rather than punishment to change behaviours. And I thought it was quite an interesting aspect of um, consumer behaviour change. Yeah, no, and, and I completely agree. And I think the thing that stood out about me was this was this was the launch of Ecova's new kind of comms campaign as well. But it was also just changing the mindset of consumers. It, it wasn't they weren't handing them waste. You know, this this plastic was was uh, a resource. It was a re- it was revenue essentially. It was it was you know a substitute for money, and that automatically puts a value on the plastic, which is what ultimately we need to do. Start mm. realizing that this does have a purpose and does have an economy attached to it. So I think Ecova did that um, really well, which um, our readers are about to hear now. So, um, you know, after suffering through that severe kind of uh, long hour train journey to, to Paris, I hauled myself up to London to, you know, have to try a few nibbles and have a drink or two to speak to Ecova's head of long-term innovation, Tom Donnan, on why a cafe was the ideal place uh, to talk to consumers about plastic. I mean, seriously, the sacrifices I'm making to produce this podcast this week is it's just unbelievable. But um, anyway, here is that interview in full. Okay, so I am up in central London this evening um, and I have popped along to a rubbish cafe. I don't mean rubbish in the sense that it's not serving good food or drinks, but in the sense that um, to pay, you actually have to um, offer up some you know, single-use plastic that you would otherwise discard. I didn't have an itchy on me, but I've managed to slip past uh, the, the bouncer, so to speak, to grab a, uh, a quick chat with Tom Doman, who is uh, the long-term innovation manager at Ecova. Um, for those of you unaware, Ecova specialise in kind of cleaning products, and they have really taken on a leadership role in terms of packaging recently, um, as the war on waste has come out and as consumers get more concerned around um, how they dispose and, and use single-use plastics. Ecova have kind of carved out a nice niche in the market. Um, bottles consisting of anything from 50% recycled content all the way up to 100% with some of the newer products. So, Tom, uh, thank you very much um, for agreeing for this chat. I realise um, we're in the basement of the cafe and it's quite warm, so it's not the most glamorous place, but um, I hope I'll keep this brief, so thank you. Sure, thank you. Um, so I suppose we should start then um, with what the cafe uh, really is. I mean, I mentioned you have to pay plastic to kind of get in. Uh, I had a look around earlier. There's there's all this kind of green messaging um, on the walls that really kind of promotes Ecova's values. But I think it's better coming from your mouth um, what this is hoping to achieve. 
Uh, well, for me, the, the rubbish cafe is a bit of a statement um, around the way we currently deal with, with plastics and especially single-use plastics. Um, and I think one of the issues with single-use plastics or litter in general is that there is only litter because the object or the material doesn't have any value. People not throw it away because it has no value to them. Um, I think the statement we're making here is, no, that material actually does have a value and, and we can all together solve the litter problem and, and the ocean plastic problem if we uh, give value back to the material. Um, now we've done it here in a kind of quite um, strong statement where the fact that if you bring uh, single-use plastic um, that can be recycled, if you bring it into the cafe, you get a free meal, which is definitely, of course, uh, yeah, like a, a big return. Mm. Um, but it's definitely not the kind of statement that we want to make. Hey, this is a valuable material, um, and let's put the value back into the material, and, and we give a free lunch for, for this time, and maybe next time you get uh, something different. Yeah, I think it is quite clear. There's, there's been a lot of talk about the need to put a value on these kind of waste streams or resource streams, as, as they should be called, really. So um, it, it's one of the more clever ways I've seen it done. It's obviously a, a kind of um, a temporary pop-up. Um, I think it's over the weekend that it's, yeah. it's kind of around uh, for, but it also coincides with the launch of a, a more kind of long-lasting uh, statement from me, Koga. You've, you've launched a new kind of... My understanding of it is it's a communications um, kind of program to... to give consumers more information about Ecova's brand purpose and how they're dedicated to tackling um, the plastics waste. So so why did you think now was the time to, to kind of launch a, a new kind of communications campaign? Yeah, well, Ecofair, of course, has been based uh, almost 40 years now ago, 40 years ago, um, based on the idea that um, there are these everyday products that have a huge impact on water quality. Uh, and of course, at the time, it was all around the ingredients and, and ecotoxicity of, of the ingredients. Um, now over the years we've seen the kind of debate shifting from, from the, the chemicals to the growing issue of ocean plastic and plastic in the environment. Um, so also for us it was time to kind of play a, a big role in that part because if you look at the real you know, threat to oceans today, plastics is one of the biggest issues. Um, so we started to address the packaging issue already a long time ago, but it's only since recent that we've seen such huge public interest in, in the topic. Of course. Um, and I've never seen anything like this like in my whole career, working on environmental issues. And I've never seen such a strong consumer movement where people are almost kind of real mass market consumer or are just saying, we've had enough of plastics, we want to see change. Um, this, the images of ocean plastic, the image of Blue Planet, of course, have helped. Mm. Um, they're, they're creating such a massive change, and I think um, this was for us an opportunity to kind of, you know, come forward with the messaging because we've been working on on, on packaging and, and reduction of packaging and plastics over the last more than ten years um, after working on the ingredients. Um, so and we thought really now is the time also to kind of speak up and, and, and reach out to consumers about this. When the kind of plastics debate really started we had a lot of companies um making new pledges to bland plastic stores and stuff like that and, and a few of the companies i spoke to said that these aren't necessarily new pledges but they've just had to reiterate it because consumers are asking so much so um i suppose this is a twofold question do you think some companies have been too reactive around plastics rather than taking the initiative they've kind of waited for a, for a public outcry to act on it or do you think it's just a case that companies need to learn to be more vocal and engage with consumers about sustainability and what they're up to in areas like plastic? 
I definitely think like generally speaking, I mean, there are definitely exceptions of companies that do really well, but, but generally speaking, uh, I don't think the industry has responded uh, fast enough to the problem. I mean, we've picked ocean plastic, like first conversations of ocean plastic and, and kind of the, the awareness of the issue is more than 10 years ago. I've kind of seen the actual impact of plastics on the environment. Um, of course, there weren't kind of great images and movies that we have currently have today. Um, but but everybody knew there was something wrong within with the system, um, and 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 I do see it's only now that there's like real action being taken, and you need you have the pledges, and, and I know some of the pledges are building on some older older pledge that have pledges or, or older activities that that companies have been doing, but the real action is is only happening today. Just the simple fact of uh, actually using recycled content mm. in the product. It's such an obvious one. It could have been done years ago, probably more than 10 years ago. A lot of the recycling companies also here in UK went bankrupt because there just wasn't any demand for recycled content. Yeah. Um, and now you see kind of booming recycling industry again. People are starting to reinvest into recycling technologies again. Um, but it's unfortunate that it only happened now instead of 10 years ago. But, you know, the change is there, so still in the end a good thing. Yeah, definitely a positive yeah. step, much yeah. needed if, if not, yeah. it should have come sooner. Um, and on the recycling infrastructure front as well, a lot of companies, um, you know, government as well, have come out with these huge stretching ambitions to reduce plastic, use more recycled content and materials. Um, but, I mean, I know Ecova themselves have aspirations around putting recycled content and biodegradable content into their products. Um, but a lot of, I suppose, green groups are concerned that the infrastructure isn't there to, to be able to cope with these new material demands and stuff. Um, in, in your opinion, what's what's the kind of big barrier that business needs to, to overcome in, in order in order to promote resource efficiency for plastics? Um, well, there's the quality of the recycled content. I think, look at short, short-term solutions, it's, it's about making your products recyclable. Um, there's still way too much product out there that, that are not recyclable. Um, even just the simple fact of a colored bottle, why do we need to color like all, all these crazy, give all these crazy colors to our bottles. Um, we can eventually dye the product itself. Um, and then there's the multiple, the multi-layer uh, materials, things like that. Um, and this is definitely a simple thing for companies that can do. And then it's a matter of using recycled content. The, the barrier there is the quality of recycled content mm. and the availability of recycled content. Um, the quality is rapidly changing. There's there's more and more access to good quality recycled content, and and with our bottle or the latest one, where we've put 100% recycled content in there, we've proven that it is possible to have a 100% yeah recycled bottle made mm. from recycled material that still looks as transparent as any other bottle. Um, so it is possible to do that. Um, so why why not do that today? Um, now there are definitely types of materials that are less less available. Mm. Like in the PE, for example, uh, polyethylene or high density polyethylene um, is not that good available. There is not that good quality available. Um, and to get to 100% is currently still difficult. But we just start pushing the limits of, of what is possible. Um, caps, for example, closures, triggers, all these things. Um, it's it's not really not, not easy to kind of put recycled content in there. There's quality issues. But, but again, um, we did the first trials. Um, it's a matter of trial and trial again and, and just make it work. And I think in, definitely everybody should be able to make this work in, in the next coming years uh, to put like a, at least more than half of recycled content in every product that's out there that's using plastic. Uh, so that's for me the kind of first key thing to address short term. Now longer term, 
um, we believe that, that at least we should start questioning whether the, the kind of whole idea of, of circular economy and, and, and kind of betting all money on recycling is, is, is the wisest thing to do for the future. Um, as a recycling has its limits, um, there's quality loss in, in recycling, especially mechanical recycling. Um, will we ever get to a system where every product that's ever been used is collected somehow and put it back into to, 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 to a cycle? Um, I have my doubts whether we can ever be kind of the full, like educate every single consumer mm. and every single occasion. Um, so that kind of asks to rethink the system. Um, so hence, like longer term, we need to work on where can we just eliminate plastic? Um, and th th there's lots of creative solutions out there that can eliminate plastic, um, like refill, simple thing of in-store refill. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, like we have, like, uh, for example, making all products sell most products in a solid format instead of liquid format, um, which is possible for a complete portfolio almost. Um, I appreciate you have a lot of things to be doing upstairs in the actual cafe rather than down in a, in a weird kind of storage basement. So um, I will let you get on your way. But um, for those listening that have really enjoyed Tom's insight, he is obviously going to be um, at ED Live uh, on the 22nd to 23rd of May. And, you know, this is a subject he's a bit of an expert on and we'll be talking more about this. Um, so if you're interested, do do check out that. And Tom, I will be eating live myself, so I will make sure I come say hello. Thank you. So as I'm sure you gleaned from that, Tom's a very insightful man, and I would have loved to have kept on talking to him. It wasn't for the fact that that basement was boiling hot. Mm. Like I was down there for 10, 15 minutes, and I was I was like getting dehydrated. It was it was not the ideal place to uh, to do an interview, but because the cafe was just like buzzing with. Made in Chelsea stars, I think, as you pointed out. That's right. Yeah, not that I noticed. Not that I noticed, and it's not really my Jeremy Carl and uh, Main Chelsea is not really my forte. Next time we'll send you along, and you can you can spot the celebs for us. Maybe Lucy Watson will notice me at some point. Yeah, <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, you can tell he really knows what he's on about, and he's actually going to be talking about plastics and the plastics problem at ED Live mm. later this week. Uh, there's a link attached to this news page of the podcast that will tell you more about that. Um, event, but George, is there anything in terms of uh, seminars or, or themes or speakers who you're really excited about this this year's event? As you know, I'm a, a green policy nerd, so anything anything policy related is going to you know wet my whistle as mm. such. Uh, I know Mary Creek speaking there; um, she's the chair of the Environmental Audit Committee, who I'm actually uh, speaking to tomorrow. Uh, so it'd be a good chance to catch up with her. Um, but yeah, um, anything anything in terms of green policy is. They get me excited. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I I am looking forward to to what Mary Creek. She's obviously sitting on on a panel with with rap as well, uh, uh, Peter Maddox, and I think that's going to be really interesting. Uh, you know, Mary doesn't hold any punches when it comes not. to to criti critiquing the government, so um, there should be some some nice uh, juicy comments from that one, which um, I'm looking forward to. I think I'm most excited about the Innovation Centre. Mm. Um, we're going to be showcasing our, uh, I mean, it's not quite our top 10 innovations of the year because it's mid-May now, so it's more of our top 10 innovations of the year and a little bit more. But there's some real exciting stuff we're doing with, with where we're publishing a real uh, innovation centre that allows you, it's not that immersive, there's no like virtual reality or stuff like that, but it allows you to walk around and really experience innovations and get a bit more understanding of what they are. It coincides with the launch of the report that went live this week as well. Mm. Um, and, you know, whether it's mobility, sustainable farming, technology, blockchain, there's just so much stuff bubbling on the surface in terms of innovation and sustainability. 
that um, we can't wait to share with people. So I'm looking forward to how people interact with that and they get a chance to vote for their favourites, which will be um, which will be good fun. Have you got any particular favourites? I know we've got that report coming up. Is there anything that stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, the and I'm sure people that have just seen the report will, will agree that this, the CBIM project is really exciting. It was, I think, one of the most read ones of the innovations of the week that we published about these little essentially just plastic not plastic bags but like natural bags you put in like harbours and they it sucks up all the litter and just filters out clean water like it's not going to solve the plastics problem but it's just it can make such a difference to such a uh, a relevant topic i i really liked um a, a company called uh, seawater greenhouse mm. um they just i think they just won i think around at 180,000 150,000 pounds from the shell right. um uh, springboard competition or was it live wire it's one of the two and they they essentially have this drought independent crop cycle. So they they use they convert seawater via desalination, uh, you know, solar desalination technology, into into water that can be used for crops. So it produces ninety percent less water, um, and these crops can be grown anywhere. And when you consider the fact that we've got a growing population, um, we've got you know extra mouths to feed and not enough food to do it. The livestock sector is a huge cause of emissions meaning we need to switch to more plant-based stuff mm. you've got currently unsustainable farming techniques that lead to soil degradation that kind of stuff um, and urban expansion means there's actually less place to, to do this farming coupled with the fact that climate change is making more areas just harder to to grow and farm and just harsher climates this is a real solution that in my opinion ticks every single one of those boxes it's it's a solution all it does is is create crops but it does it in a way that mitigates so many different problems i was really impressed when i read about it so i'm quite excited to see how that one pops up. i'm not expecting it to you know pop up outside of any scripts did because you know we still got a nice climate but it's gone to, i think it's like somaliland and abu dhabi are all looking at it that kind of stuff so i'm really interested to see how that one uh, fleshes out and you know i'm sure if you're listening you'll have and if, and if you've read the report you'll have your own uh favorite innovation you can either leave comments on that page or if you're across 3d live feel free to come along and, and hopefully vote for your favorites um and i think that's pretty much it for us today um as i mentioned we'll be back after ed live um tired ragged and pretty much jaded and that's where things are all change um i can't quite say what just yet other than the significance will be will be huge it's a real revamp and you know think Gandalf coming back to the fellowship in, in the Lord of the Rings. That's how that's how big this is. In fact, I've probably just given away what's happening, but let's see if anyone can pick up on that. Um, but yeah, the podcast is, is getting a revamp, so be on the lookout for that. Um, but until then, you can access this episode and all our previous ones. I think we're on episode 42 now, so closing in on a big anniversary. Um, uh, via the ED website, SoundCloud, or iTunes. And if you're coming up to ED Live, do come and say hello to us. Um, and be a little bit appreciative of the fact that we might be a little bit tired mm. um and friendly oh yeah well. still yeah friendly they might not be friendly to look at but we'll be friendly <laughs> we'll definitely be friendly um so come say hello to us and until next time it's a goodbye from george goodbye. and a goodbye from me goodbye